can be found on page 188 of the Church Bibles. It comes from the first letter to Peter, chapter 2. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. For Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Stones. To be called a stone is not all that complimentary, really. Stones are hard, cold, sharp, solid, unbending, inflexible. Who would like anybody to describe you as a stone? It's not very flattering, is it? And actually, stones are a nuisance. I have an allotment, and I love my parsnips. But isn't it funny that whenever I put a parsnip seed, underneath is a stone. And then all the roots divide, and instead of getting one of those things you get in Tesco's, which is a little, you know, tapering thing, it comes out looking actually rather like Davy Jones in part of, of the Caribbean, with all these sort of dangly bits looking down. Except they don't have a hatcher. Uh, that's exactly what my parsnips look like except they don't have a hat on them. I was also reading Tom Wright when I was preparing for this, and he reckons that those places where there are lots of dry stone walls, the point is not so much to keep the sheep in, but to get the stones out of the field and then put them somewhere. Well, I don't know about that. But for us, of course... We're talking this morning not about those sorts of stones. We're talking about a living stone. We're coming to a living stone. We, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. So let's turn to this passage. It's only four verses long, and they're, but they're quite complex because the metaphor kind of changes throughout the passage, which makes it a bit difficult. But it starts 
with the sequence of grace. Thank God invites, we respond, and then God changes or sanctifies us. The particular invitation is for us to come. As you come to him, the living stone, that we find the invitation to come, to be with God, is an invitation that we find throughout the Bible. It starts at the beginning of Genesis, as the Lord God walks in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the evening, expecting to be with the man and woman. That's a lovely picture, particularly this time of year, isn't it? It's been hot all day, and then in the evening it just sort of calms down in the cool, and you feel, oh, I can actually move now without breaking out into a sweat. So we just wander around, and God chose to be with the man and woman he created. Unfortunately, they'd chosen to do something else and were hiding in the bushes. And then right at the end of Revelation, there's the throne of God and the Lamb in the great eternal city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his his face, and that great invitation is renewed again. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. So the invitation is that we come to God. And it's directed to those, if we go back one verse, which I'm sure you, you read last week, that verse that says, like newborn, crave spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. Now you have tasted the Lord is good. We have tasted the Lord is good, and so we come, we come to that living stone. So what actually does it mean to come to God? Obviously, in a very physical way, we have come to meet God together this morning. That's one aspect of coming. Particularly if we're being built together in a spiritual house, we kind of need to be together, don't we? We can't do it if we're all on our own. Usually we come to faith one by one, but except in exceptional circumstances, there's no such thing as a Christian on their own. We are community. And the pictures we're given about those communities are all about togetherness. Jesus gives us the picture of the vine. He is the vine. We are the branches. We're inextricably linked together and connected to one another. Paul gives us a picture of the body. All the parts are different, but we're dependent on one another. And here Peter is talking about a building. We're not just a a load of stones on the floor. We're actually a building. Each block rests on someone else, and then we support the bit above us. So it's all about being together, and we need to come together in order to, to be built together as a building. But of course, there is the more individual aspect as we come to meet with God day by day. In whatever way we sustain our devotional life, we need to, to read scripture, we need to pray individually as well. And of course, actually, we're always in God's presence In a sense, we don't need to come because God is there, he's with us 
by his Holy Spirit. So we come to him, the living stone. The rock or stone image is common in scripture and Peter quotes two passages from Isaiah and one from the Psalms. From Isaiah 28, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So Jesus is chosen. Jesus is part of God's plan. In the 1970s, uh, Bernard wrote a book called God's Brainwave. Has any of you ever read it? It was a lovely, very interesting sort of book. But it started off with sort of God sort of looking around and thinking, oh, it's all gone wrong. I wasn't expecting that. Now what can I do? I know, I'll send my son into the world. It wasn't like that. It was God's plan. God knew from the, we've sung that already, from the beginning we knew what the end was, or from the end we knew what the beginning was. I can't remember which way around the song goes, but God knows what was going, knew what was going to happen, and he'd already put in mind his plan. He'd chosen Jesus to come into this world for us. So a chosen and a precious cornerstone. I wonder how many Good Fridays we have seen as Christians. I wonder how many songs we have sung about the cross. But do we really understand the cost of Jesus sending his own son into the world, knowing what was going to happen, knowing he'd be rejected, knowing he would go through suffering, knowing he would die on a cross? A chosen and precious cornerstone. Now, I actually don't know very much about building. But I do know that you have to get the foundations right, partly because Jesus said we have to, it's all about rock and sand. We had an extension built uh, when we moved into our new house, and the builder said, all the cost is underground. (laughs) That was where the cost was. So you have to get the foundations right. And we nearly had a little wobble on that because having dug all the holes for the foundation, they suddenly found we should have been piled. But anyway, we won't go there. You have to get the foundations right, but you also have to get the corners right. Because if a corner's out, only a little bit at the corner, by the time you've got down the end of the wall, it's a long way out. And so the cornerstone is the most important stone. It sets the whole building, sets the, the whole geometry of the building. What we build our lives on is important. And it may not seem important at the beginning, but gradually, if we've got it slightly wrong only, we suddenly find that we're well out of true. But the promise is here, the one who trusts in Jesus the precious cornerstone, will never, you know, put to shame. And it is a bit shameful if a building's sort of, you know, you know, uh, tra- trapezoidal or something like that, when it should be square or, or rectangular. But we will never be put to shame if we trust in Jesus.
So that was the passage from Isaiah 28. From Psalm 818, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And now we've kind of slipped a little bit in our image because we're now talking the head of the corner or the capstone. Do you know, I don't really understand the difference. If I was a mason, perhaps I would. But this is the vindication of Jesus' rejection by the Jewish leaders, those who have been tasked with building the people of God. They rejected the stone. You can imagine, you know, well, that stone's no good. We'll just put it on the pile. And then all of a sudden, it's actually the most important one, the, the, the cornerstone, the capstone at the top of the corner. Jesus' vindication. And then finally from Isaiah is the warning that Jesus becomes a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. As parents, do you remember what the old man Simeon said to Mary when Jesus' parents brought him for the ritual purification? This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Jesus was chosen by God and exalted as a pinnacle of the spiritual house, but he was rejected by others. I was in a church last Sunday using the, the gospel lectionary and we had these endearing words from Jesus and I, Jesus said some very difficult things. I have come to bring fire on earth. Do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. And there will be division because people will choose Jesus or they will reject Jesus. Some will stumble against Jesus. Some will embrace him as the living stone. And so, of course, Jesus is the living stone. Jesus, the one who died on a cross for us, but now lives forevermore. It's the resurrection, really, that's Jesus' vindication, that all he said is rejected him. And in particular, it was the judgment on those who rejected him, but should have known better. And then the imagery changes completely. Throw stones out the window now. We're going to be built into a spiritual house. And it's not Jesus we focus on as the living stones, but we, following Jesus, become the living stones. All believers are part of this spiritual house, all being integrated as living stones. And of course, Christians are only living stones because they've been given life. Once dead, lost, and less useless because of their sin. But Jesus has given those worthless stones forgiveness and new life. Jesus has changed those worthless stones into something new and exciting and precious. He's changed them through his death on the cross. Jesus has given those unresponsive, those nuisance stones, those inert stones, life through baptism, a new life in this world and an eternal life in heaven. 
So we are living stones because and only because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Sharp edge. Without Jesus, we would just be stones without life. Jagged, sharp edges, useless, not much of a future. Without Jesus, we would be inanimate, without life, dead, without hope. But with the power, the presence and warmth of Jesus, our Saviour, we become living stones. And we're not just living stones being built into a spiritual house for God's habitation, but we're also a holy priesthood. In other words, we're not just kind of a passive building where God dwells. We're also active participants in the worship. And not just participants, but a very special kind of participant. We are the priests. We all, whether we've been authorised and got a nice little bit of paper from the bishop, or whether we're just ordinary people who muck in with the church, or just people who pray, whatever we are, we are a priesthood of this new spiritual house. And our privilege is to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're not priests individually. Together we become in the old priesthood which serves God in this way. In the Old Testament, the priests used to bring sacrifices into the tabernacle in the Old Testament, and now the tabernacle is replaced by the Christian church. There was an altar in the original temple and that's replaced by Jesus Christ and his shed blood. And those priests are replaced by all of us together, the priesthood of Christ. What that priesthood means for us today, I think is something that may be being explored next Sunday. But let me give you a teaser because... The next verse that we didn't read is one of my favourite verses in the Bible. You're not allowed to have favourite verses, but it is. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Something to look forward to next week. Eternal praise. Pray. Eternal God, help us put our trust, not in the stone of a building, but in the being of your Son, who loved, lived, died and rose again, once for all and for all people of all places and times. Amen.